chapter 5. James chapter 5. We near the end of our study as we've been walking through James. And this morning we begin to uh, see the closing remarks that James gives to the readers, the churches that are scattered, the church that is now scattered abroad, uh, meeting in homes. And so we see the, the closing remarks that James has for the people of God as he uh, draws all of these themes and different topics that he's been writing about and, and counseling and encouraging, exhorting the churches with. He, he's drawing these things to a close. Uh, and this morning, as we, uh, as we approach verse 7, the title of the message is Patient Endurance and the Hope of Eternity. Patient Endurance and the Hope of Eternity. And I think specifically because what James is speaking about is he's speaking about the hope, the true hope that we have, all those who are believers in Christ, professing faith in Jesus Christ, the true hope that is ours for eternity, and then how that impacts the way we live and what we do, how we live here and now and today. And there is certainly this tension between the now and what will be. James seeks to help the church flesh that out. And so if you found your place in verse 7, say amen. Let us read. Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it until it gets the early and late rains. You too be patient, Strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. Do not complain, brethren, against one another, so that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. As an example, brethren, of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We count those blessed who endured. You have heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings, that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. Let us pray. Father, as we open your word this morning, we have cried out to you in musical worship and laid our souls bare before you. And so, Father, we pray now that you would speak through your word into our lives Oh God, that you would test us this morning before you, that you would reveal in our own hearts and in the counsel of our minds by your Spirit, Lord, that you would reveal any areas in our life of sin, that we would confess that readily before you. God, teach us this morning, beckon us unto you, Father, to to come and to, to lay our struggles before your throne Teach us, Father, to lay our hearts before you and to open our hearts before your word. I pray, God, that you would illuminate our minds, Holy Spirit, that you would teach us through your word, that you would open our hearts to to, to love your word and give us strength in our lives to apply your word so that we might live for your glory. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Have you ever heard someone say, don't pray for patience, you might just get what you ask for. Or maybe you've heard someone say, patience is a virtue, right? And so this morning, I, I want to speak to us really about this virtue of patience. What is this virtue of patience? And James speaks about patient endurance. I found this 
unknown source that said, Patience is a virtue. Possess it if you can. Felt seldom, uh, found seldom in a woman, never in a man. <laughs> Truth be told, we all struggle a little bit with patience, don't we? I, I certainly struggle with patience. I'm sure, I'm sure you do as well. I'm, there are certainly some who have mastered patience uh, with a, a great deal of uh, maturity that's far beyond my years, and then I, I know that uh, that maybe none of you struggle with patience as much as I do, but I'm quite certain that at some point we all struggle a little bit with having patience. One of the times that this has never been more clear is when we've taken family trips. Now, if you have children and you've engaged or embarked upon a family trip, it becomes quite evident really quickly, maybe about 10 minutes after you leave the driveway, that patience is going to be needed for the trip, especially when the inevitable comment or question comes, how much longer, right? Or are we there yet, right? Maybe you're thinking about that one. How much longer till we get there, right? And the question comes 10 minutes after you leave the driveway and then another 10 minutes down the road, you, you get it again. And then randomly for the remainder of the trip, the, the bellows of discomfort and boredom grow greater and greater until parents inevitably lose their patience as well and they sharply reply with some threat that demands the children respond with absolute obedience. If, if you don't quit asking, I'm going to pull the car over and somebody's going to get a spanking. You've maybe never been guilty of saying that either. But if I'm being transparent this morning, I have. <laughs> For us, if we're blessed, the trip normally ends as we're pulling into the destination with us playing the quiet game (laughs) so that we can just kind of gain our composure. You know, James calls for patience in something else as we look at this passage this morning. He calls believers to exercise patience in in daily living, and in so doing, he he draws us back even into an earlier theme that he has already mentioned in the letter, and the theme is the theme of endurance. He he says it in chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, where he says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith develops endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be mature or perfect and complete. Lacking in nothing. This idea of patience and endurance are very closely connected in the book of James. In fact, not only in the book of James, but the Apostle Paul uses the words interchangeably as well. One example is in Colossians 1.7 where he says, May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. And so it's for this reason this morning, I, I want us to look first and see that patient endurance is a core virtue in the Christian life. Patient endurance is a core virtue in the Christian's life. And we see this really beginning in verse 7. He begins with, therefore, really connecting verses 1 through 6 that we saw last week, where these wealthy lo- landowners were uh, were. were, were persecuting the poor that were in the midst of the body. And the response to the poor brothers, the Christians who are in the midst of the body, uh, because these wealthy landowners, if you recall, they weren't believers in the midst of the congregation. They were outsiders, really. 
And so in verse 7, he picks up and says, Therefore, based upon what he has said in verses 1 through 6, therefore, with an encouragement and an exhortation to those who are being persecuted in the body, be patient. Word that's tough for us to hear sometimes. Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. That is, understand this, there, there is a need for you to exercise patience and endurance. And so patient endurance is a core virtue in the Christian's life. I think for a couple of reasons. But first, because of this, patient endurance teaches us to trust in God's sovereign plan. Patient endurance teaches us to trust in God's sovereign plan. Look at the reason that he gives for exhorting them to have patient endurance or to be patient. The reason he gives is because he says, well, he says, therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. There's a reason that we are to be patient. There's a there's an in hope that we are to be patient toward, and it is the coming, the return of the Lord. This coming of the Lord, it's that word that you've heard undoubtedly, parousia, that speaks about the end time, right? This is the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And James is, what's he doing here? He's pointing their attention to something beyond the circumstances that they're walking through. He's pointing their attention to a hope and a faith that is grounded in one person, Jesus Christ, the Lord. And so he says, be patient until the coming of the Lord. And so patient endurance teaches us to trust in God's sovereign plan. Knowing this, that Christ's coming, the second coming, it will happen. Christ is returning. And James calls Christians and disciples of Christ to wait patiently for that day. He speaks with a certainty of the coming of that day. He doesn't say that maybe Christ will return a second time. No, he speaks with great certainty. You know, I think this kind of draws our attention just for a moment, maybe a side note to how often do we wake up, how many mornings do we wake up and say, Lord, your will be done today on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, come today. I want today to be the day that you come. Lord, I'm ready. Come and take us. Come now. Come, Lord Jesus. How often do we wake up with that prayer? How often do we voice that prayer during the day? But what James is saying is that ought to be the outlook of our life, that we are ready for Christ to return and take us to be with him at any moment. Maybe we're kind of like the church that James is writing to, where when difficult times in life come, hey, we're ready for God to come and take us to be with Him. When we're walking through trials or struggles or difficult times, we're ready at that point for God to come and to take us home to be with Him. But when life is going good, when we're enjoying things, maybe not so much. God, could you wait till tomorrow? And we don't say that. But it's not far from our minds if we're not living with this mindset of, Lord Jesus, come today. Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord, he says. A lot of New Testament critics have criticized passages such as this one, speaking of the return of Christ Even in verse 8, James says, You too be patient, strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is what? It's near, right? 
He's near. The coming of the Lord is near. And so many critics say that, well, James was misguided. He was wrong. Of course, the Lord hasn't come yet. It's been 2,000 years. He still hasn't come. James certainly didn't mean that the Lord was going to come very soon or near. But really, those who do, I think they misunderstand the nearness of God. Look at 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 3-10, through 10 and, and see what Peter says about the nearness of God. 2 Peter 3, 3-10. It'll be on the screen for you to follow, or you can turn there. Know this first of all, that in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lust, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. For when they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of the water and by water, through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded by water. But by his word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of, the ungod- of ungodly men. But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any would perish, but all for all to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works shall be burned up. You see, James speaks of the nearness of the Lord and the coming of the Lord, that He is coming. His coming is near. His return is imminent. Christ will be coming back. And it's for this reason that James is calling the people of God to patiently endure the trials and the struggles that they are walking through. I think nature gives us a tremendous illustration of this very idea of understanding the nearness of God in our our temporal minds. The life of a mayfly is exactly one day. Suppose a mayfly hovering over a pool for one spring day of its life was capable of observing the tadpole offspring of a frog in the water below. In the mayfly's aged afternoon, having seen no change in the tadpole, it would be impossible for the mayfly to conceive that the tadpole's becoming a frog was very near So it is with us in our Mayfly existence in Christ's calendar. Our shortness of days does not negate the nearness of His coming. You see, God's Word is clear. God's Word is clear. Even Christ Himself in in the Gospel of Matthew says, For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. You see, James is calling the people of God, to patient endurance in the midst of trials because he knows the coming of the Lord is near and he's calling God's people to draw near to God. He's calling God's people to depend and to trust and to have patient endurance in the midst of the trials that they are walking through. Now, think about it for these 
church members. They're being treated wrong and unjustly. They are food being taken from them and the, the wealthy landowners keeping food for themselves. They're being pushed aside, perhaps losing their jobs in society. All of these struggles are coming in upon this church, upon these believers. And James says, patiently endure. Therefore, be patient, be patient brethren, until the coming of the Lord. And so it teaches us to, to trust in God's sovereign plan in the midst of hardships, in the midst of trials, in the midst of uncertainty. Patient endurance teaches us to trust in God's sovereign plan. But notice that we must live according to his timetable. If we're trusting in his sovereign plan, we must live according to his timetable. Scripture also tells us in Matthew twenty four thirty six, Jesus says, but concerning the day and the hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the son of but the Father only. You know, there are many who would talk about trying to speed up the coming and the return of the Lord by evangelistic operation and, and going out and, and trying to, uh, to, to take the gospel to the ends of the earth quicker and faster so that Christ will return sooner. But the reality is, is that we, we cannot quicken His coming, nor can we restrain His coming. The goal is that we ought to be employing ourselves and giving ourselves in labor for the kingdom of God. But not only are we to live according to his timetable, I think when we understand that patient endurance teaches us to trust in God's sovereign plan, then here's what happens in our life, in my life, in your life, that we are free to entrust ourselves to his care. We're free to entrust ourselves to God's care. If we're called to patiently endure, as these believers were called to patiently endure in the midst of hardships and in the midst of trials, in the midst of social injustice, in the midst of unfair treatment at the hands of wealthy landowners, then we ourselves must recognize that we too ought to be entrusting ourselves to the faithful hand of God. We must trust in God's sovereign plan for our lives as well. So James calls them to patience, be patient. This command in verse 7 really is a, it's an imperative. It's a command. It's something we ought to employ in our lives that we should be patient. When hard times come, when hardships come, when trials come, we are to be patient. The core virtue of patient endurance also leads us, secondly, leads us to live responsibly under God's sovereign plan. James gives us an example of how we do this. He he shows us the farmer. You see what he says there in verse 7? The farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it until it gets the early and late rains. This precious produce of the soil, the farmer waits on it. Well, have you, have you ever raised a garden? Uh, maybe, maybe some of you have. Maybe some haven't. But if you've ever raised a garden, if you've ever planted and taken the time to raise a garden, you know that it's, it's hard work. In fact, you know that there are certain things that the farmer really has no you. You really have no control over, but they're necessary for life. 
there's certain things, if you're depending upon this crop, this garden that you're raising to sustain your life, you recognize and realize there are certain things that you are dependent on that you have no control over. One of those things would be the early and late rains that James points out here. As a farmer, he must wait early for, he must wait for the early and the late rains in order to plant and to harvest his food. As a farmer, he must wait for the seed to germinate in the ground once he's planted. You know, today we kind of cheat. We go, to, uh, we go to a feed and seed store and we buy a plant that's already germinated, right? The seed has been planted. We just buy the plant so we can stick it in the ground and we're, kinda, we're ahead of the game. It, it's, already got, uh, it's already got a jump start on everything else. Um, wasn't so for the farmer in this day. He must wait for the earth to yield the fruit he must be patient in the process. You know, whenever, whenever we did a garden um, at, our, uh, at our last home, we, we, uh, I went out there and I, I, sprayed, uh, I sprayed a big area of the grass where I wanted to kill the grass, um, and I let it completely die. And then I went and I scraped all that grass up and got it out, and I, I just made the soil bare. There was nothing there but just dirt. Then after that began the, the tedious portion of the, the labor where I began uh, rowing it up, uh, hoeing it into rows, and so I, I got a couple of rows done, and, and then uh, begin to, you know, you've got a fertilizer, you mix in fertilizer in the midst of all of this, and so it, it's hard work, it's, it's labor intensive. And so the farmer's role is not simply relegated here to, to being patient, as it says in verse 7, the farmer waits for the precious produce or precious fruit of the soil, being patient about it until it gets the early and late rains. This doesn't mean that the farmer just sits idly by and just waits for the rain to come. No, there's work that he's doing in the midst of He's engaging in this work. He's laboring intensely. His work is great if he's going to prepare the ground. As he moves all the grass and the weeds and plants the seed, he has to come back and he has to check and make sure that grass isn't growing up before the seed is germinated. Because what happens if that is the case? Well, it begins to steal all the nutrients from the soil and the plant doesn't get the nutrients and it doesn't produce the fruit that it needs in order to sustain the farmer's life. And so he, once he plants the seed, his work isn't done. He, he has to watch and continue to hoe the ground. He must labor intensely. The responsibility of the farmer is that he must engage in the work so that he's ready to benefit from the hand of God through the early and the late rains. Not only is he to labor intensely, he must invest deeply in the work. He must tend the garden, removing the weeds that would steal these nutrients and rob the soil of the nutrients that the fruit needs to grow into maturity. Laboring intensely and and investing deeply, he must live responsibly. For the farmer, it means engaging and laboring in the field, doing all that he can to protect and to nourish the very crops that sustain his life. And the point that James is making here when he says the farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it until it gets the early and the late rains, this point that he draws it to a head to in verse 8 is you too be patient, he tells the church. Just like the farmer, he tells the believer, you too be patient. Strengthen your hearts 
engage in the work, be steadfast and endure, have patient endurance, wait and watch like the farmer, but don't just sit idly by, be engaging in this task of enduring, be engaging in working the field, be engaging in protecting the nourishment of the fruit. What's that look like in your life and my life? My life looks like I must guard my time, must guard my heart from things that would come and want to steal away from the joy of the Lord. In my life, it it looks like I must guard my family. In my life, it it looks like I must must put my hand to the plow and, and work in the kingdom. I must be faithful to share the gospel and give a testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ in my life. In my life, it, it looks like I must guard that time in the Word and, and that time in prayer so that I might continue to have my soul nourished and the Lord might continue to have a, an avenue of speaking into my life that I would not quench the Holy Spirit in my life, but that I would pursue Him and, and follow God. I would walk according to the Spirit. What's, what's it look like in your life, believer? Patient endurance. When there's financial difficulty and struggle, how do you... How do you depend upon God? When there's hardship and sickness and even death, what what does this patient endurance look like for you? How are you drawing near and depending on God in the midst of this? When you've been unjustly let go from work or unjustly accused of something, how how do you walk with patient endurance and exercise patient endurance? When you're treated wrong and perhaps made fun of as students, as children, how do you exercise patient endurance? I think we learn that it means standing steadfast. James says with a second command that kind of clarifies this command to be patient in verse 8. Not only does he say you to be patient, he says strengthen your Hearts, establish your hearts in verse 8. Believers like the former must be patient and endure in the face of trials. The call isn't to exact revenge on the wicked or pay back evil for evil. Uh, It's not about attacking the world when we're wronged. But it's also, hear this out, it's also not a call to sit back and let others take advantage It's also not a call to compromise in one's faith and to give in to the world. Instead, he says that we we would establish or strengthen our hearts, meaning that we must take courage from trusting in the Lord. It means we must turn to Christ. We must depend upon Him and take courage from Him. It means to fortify or to build one's defense against temptation to sin, against circumstances that are dire, And it means that we must strengthen our faith. Strengthen our faith so that we walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. And this this is a way of setting our hope and our trust upon Him. You too be patient. Strengthen your hearts for the coming of the Lord is near. He's not far away. He's near. Look to Him. Take your strength from Him. Look to Him to supply all that we need. And as we set our hopes and trust upon knowing Christ, 
even in the midst of difficult circumstances in life, even in the midst of persecution for faith. Listen, God is faithful and he never leaves us. He's always with us. This is really, truly the promise of Romans 8.28, is it not? And we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose, seeing God work this in action in our lives. And so James says, patient endurance, it, it teaches us to trust in God's sovereign hand. Patient endurance leads us to live responsibly under God's sovereign plan. And hear this out, patient endurance, it, it calls us to commit, it commits us to community under God's sovereign hand. It commits us to community under God's sovereign hand. Look at verse 9. He says, do not complain, brethren, against one another, so that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. This commits us to community. The warning here is against disunity in the community of faith. That's the warning that he's calling us to. I don't know about you, but when I undergo hard times or difficult circumstances, it's easy for me to snap at others. I have to guard against that. When pressures are high, it's, I've got to guard against snapping at somebody else or taking out my frustration at someone else. And I, I've got to learn to deal with that in and of, in and of itself before the Lord. I, it's part of patient endurance. Maybe you've experienced this before. Maybe, maybe it looks something like this for you. You come home, it's been a, a hard day uh, at the office, and you get home, and uh, maybe the dog does something, and so you kick the dog, and you get frustrated, and then maybe your wife says something, and you snap, or your husband says something, and you snap, or maybe the kids say something, and, and you snap at them, and you recognize and say, where, where in the world did this come from? this moaning and this groaning. He says, do not complain, brethren, against one another. And I think the real caution that we need to hear and and see in this passage is, these are some big struggles that are happening in the midst of the body. And what's going on in the midst of the body is they would have a tendency to turn in on one another and begin complaining. Listen, when something's not right, when when something's wrong, then I, I want it to be wrong for you too, right? That's not not the way of Christ. But that tends to be what happens when things are difficult for us, we make things difficult for others. And James is saying that's not the way it ought to be. He says, don't complain. Do not complain, brethren, against one another so that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. You see, the temptation is great. And James has been speaking out against the sins of the tongue. And he returns, he returns to caution us here. We must be a people who are not only patiently enduring the trials of life, but get this, the church, we ought to be a people who also patiently endure one another. We're not just patiently enduring the trials of life. We're also patiently enduring one another. The church is a safe place. The church is a place of love for the disciples of Christ. The church is not a place where we come and 
encounter bickering and complaining against one another. He says, very practically speaking, be patient and enduring toward one another is what he's saying here. So that you yourselves may not be judged. This is cognizant of what Christ said in Matthew chapter 7 in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 7, 1, he says, Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that's in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite first. Take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. You might be thinking, why in the world do you have to bring that passage in, <laughs> into view? The reality is what Jesus is saying here is that when we have this judging and condemning spirit toward others, we ourselves will be judged in the same manner. And James is saying, don't complain, brethren, against one another so that you yourselves may not be judged. How then, how then does this govern our community? How should it govern the way that we interact with us? Does this mean we can never, we can never share a fault with someone? Because we obviously, I, I know that I've got many faults, so what right do I have to share a fault with another? No, that's not what is being said here. How does one share in such a way as not to tear down but to edify? That's the question. How do we share with a brother or a sister who, instead of complaining, we do it in such a way that we're edifying, that we're building up? And I think what Jesus says first is we've got to take the log out of our own eye, and we do this through humbling ourselves and and confession before God. We confess before the Lord, and then to one another if need be. If we've offended a brother or a sister, and then we seek to be redemptive in in the relationships with others, not malicious and complaining. We seek to be redemptive, right? And so patient endurance commits us to community under God's sovereign hand because he says the judge is standing right at the door. That would be Jesus himself One commentary said this, the nearness of the eschatological day is not just an impetus to look forward to the judgment of sinners and so stand fast in the faith oneself, but it is also a warning to examine one's behavior so that when the one whose footsteps are nearing finally knocks on the door, one may be prepared to open, for open we must, either for blessing or for judgment, the coming of the Lord is also the judge the coming lord is also the judge of the christian i think we forget about that sometimes right god is a god of grace and mercy as we'll see in a moment he's full of compassion but let us not get caught up brothers and sisters in judging one another lacking compassion lacking mercy on one another Let us patiently endure with one another. Let us be committed to community under God's sovereign hand. You see, if we have patient endurance, our lives will expectantly look forward for the return and toward the return of Christ, and we will stand firm, laboring for His kingdom until He comes. That's what patient endurance teaches us and leads us in. 
But secondly, this morning, I want us to see that patient endurance, James says, patient endurance has been modeled for us. It's been modeled for us from the scripture in verses 10 and 11. Look at what he says. As an example, brethren, of the suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We count those blessed who endured. You have heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings, that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. Patient endurance has been modeled for us, and first James gives us a picture of the prophets, right? He points us to see the prophets. These prophets were the men that we see throughout their ministry in the, in the Old Testament where we, we see their speaking in the name of the Lord brought them great suffering. And the great suffering that it brought them, James points out, that they, they endured this great suffering with patience. Their lives pointed to Christ as the one who was to come as they prophesied, they, they spoke and they exhibited faith in God and hope in His promise even even as they were being threatened for their words and the things that they spoke as they would come and they would even speak against kings. Think about the prophet Jeremiah. He was thrown into a dried up cistern and left for dead. Think about Daniel. He was thrown into the lion's den. Think about Isaiah, Amos, all of these prophets of old, they were men who did not waver in their commitment to following and proclaiming the word of God. These prophets spoke out against injustice and immoral wickedness, against idolatry and called God's people for repentance. James tells us their suffering and and their endurance was all done though. It was done for the glory of God. And like the prophets of old, so Christians are to speak in the name of Christ and live for the glory of God. That is what James is speaking about for patient endurance. Like the prophets of old, let us take note of their faithfulness. Let us take note of how they walked and followed God. And let us live faithfully, patiently enduring, but boldly. Let us live for the glory of God as well. Let us be like the farmer who, though he patiently waits for God's hand in bringing the early and late rains, is busy working and cultivating the field, growing in our sanctification in Christ, working and sharing the gospel, planting seeds and seeing the kingdom of God come forth. Let us be like those prophets of old. Patient endurance was modeled for us through the picture of the prophets He said, behold, we consider those blessed who endured, right? You know, we we tend to look back on hard circumstances or great testimonies from people's lives. And then what do we do? We kind of idolize the, the hard times that they walk through, don't we? We look back and see the worthy causes that somebody maybe gave their life for. Or we, we, we see the, the worthy um, cause that they lived for even in the midst of persecution and suffering. But we, like the scattered church James writes to, we must recognize that it's never easy and it's never pleasant to walk through the fiery trials and the present times of testing that they were walking through, nor that we ourselves will walk through. A great example of this would be the theologian Jonathan Edwards. Some of you may know him, maybe some don't. 
a tremendous theologian that many today not idolize in a bad way, but look up to and consider their theological mentor, so to speak. And you look at this man's life, and for over 20 years he was committed to preaching the gospel faithfully in a pulpit. And then one day, in a vote for 230 to 23, the church voted him out of the pastorate and fired him. After years of faithful ministry, here's a man who, who had faithfully poured in his, his heart, poured out his heart, rather, in preaching the gospel and, and devoting himself to the ministry of the church. And just like that, he was terminated and fired. But yet today, we... Now, that certainly wouldn't have been a, a joyful time for Jonathan Edwards to walk through. It was a difficult time. It was tough for him. But we look back on that today and say, what a, what a tremendous encouragement we draw from a story and from a testimony such as that one who would faithfully not budge in the midst of, uh, of, of naysayers, in the midst of persecutors. And get the picture, church. James is calling us in the same way. As the prophets of old as the church that he's writing to, and us today, he's calling us to be a people of patient endurance. He's calling us to be a people who are bold in our proclamation of the gospel, who are bold in our proclamation and our verbal condemnation of of, of social injustice. He's calling us to be a people who live our faith out verbally and in action. We must be about living our faith and sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. The church today in America, this is the challenge for us. To be faithful in our witness, to share the gospel, and to not budge, but to be bold in our testimony and our proclamation. Then he ends with the picture of Job. Patient endurance. Perhaps the greatest example, aside from the example of Christ himself in all of Scripture, is the picture of Job and the patient endurance that he walked through as he suffered much loss in his life and much heartache. I mean, could you imagine that one day having all of these, uh, all of these messengers come to you and say, uh, your, uh, your, your sheep have been killed, uh, fire came down from heaven and consumed them all, your servants with them. And at four different times, these people come and tell him everything he has is gone. And the last one that comes says, you know what? The house fell down on all of your kids and they died as well. Everything. And in a matter of moments, everything, everything in his life was lost. And then you know what Scripture records Job did? He fell down and worshiped the Lord. He said, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. A story of radical, patient endurance. We, we count those blessed, he said, who endured. You've heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealing. Hear this, that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. You know, this is a word that James had to create here. It's a one-time occurrence in the New Testament to describe full of compassion. It means that God is very, 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 very compassionate toward His people. That's what it means, that God is compassionate toward He sees us in the difficulty of life, in the struggles that we are going through, and He calls us to have patient endurance. Why? Because His coming is near. Endure. Be steadfast. Strengthen your heart, people of God, James says. 
Not only is he compassionate, but he is merciful toward us. That is, he's forgiving of our sin. He forgives us. He is so merciful toward the sinner. James teaches us that we must have patient endurance as the people of God. And that as we have patient endurance, he, he teaches, it teaches us to, to trust in God's sovereign plan and, and leads us to live responsibly under God's sovereign plan and, and commits us to community under God's sovereign hand. And patient endurance has even been modeled before us and James calls us and issues a challenge here. Will you, church, will we walk with patient endurance waiting for the coming of the Lord because it is near? Will that be the testimony of your life and my life? I pray that it will be. The challenge this morning is simple. Are you, like the farmer, patiently waiting and engaging, laboring intensely, working the field and nourishing the work of God in your life? Are you like the former? Does that characterize you? Are you patiently enduring like the prophet, like Job himself? Would, would that be your heart if such a thing would happen to you? I pray it would be. I pray it would be for me as well. But let us hear the challenge this morning that we as the people of God ought to be a people who are patiently enduring, looking forward to the return of Christ walking with Christ, walking faithfully, following Him. I'm going to close us in prayer. And I want to invite you this morning just to spend some time in personal prayer, reflecting upon your own walk with the Lord, confessing to Him many areas of sin maybe that He's revealed to you, and then return that to Him today in praise. Praise Him for the work that He's doing in your life as you confess before Him. Let us pray. Father, you are gracious and you are merciful. And Lord, you are full of compassion. We thank you so much for the way that you love us. The way that you come alongside of us. And thank you, Father, that we can place our faith and our eternal hope in the truth that you will return, Lord Jesus. And now, Lord, strengthen us today. Help us to be mindful of patiently enduring and trusting in You, casting all of our cares upon You. Strengthen us today to walk with You, Lord Jesus, and to submit to You every area of our life so that we are humble before You and we honor You with everything that we do. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.